0: Hello Alaska, this is Pat Race and this is Matt Buxton and this is a podcast about Alaska. And today we are talking about redistricting. So uh, Matt, you covered redistricting. Um, I watched a bunch of it. I participated in some of the meetings that were here in Juneau, um, uh, sent in public comment. I feel like it's a uh, it's, it's an interesting process to watch. This year I paid more attention than I did uh, 10 years ago. Um, well, it was
1: easier to pay attention to this time, you know, like I think the advent of Zoom meetings has been a really like interesting sort of development of it where it's, you know, we have video and audio in a way we didn't have before. I think that's right. like a really sort of interesting twist on it all.
0: Yeah, it's a good point, you know, it's like the, the accessibility of these things, like you can you can be there without being there. And um, so there were people who there were probably a handful of Alaskans who really paid a lot of attention, you know, five or six people who, who I kind of saw their names coming up in different commentary contexts. And like they were at all these meetings, they, were, they knew sort of the super inside baseball of like, this person said that specific word, which means this. Um, and so uh, I think it would be good maybe to just, like, kind of recap where we're at and then um, talk about uh, the process a little bit and maybe some of the things that stood out.
1: Yeah. So this, for me, is, like, a really, like, hair of the dog sort of thing. I feel like I really went hard into covering, redistricting, and, you know, it's, it's like, a it was a super dense sort of process and also, like, at the same time, like, incredibly... I think like frustrating from a public like policy perspective a little like emotionally draining but some of the stakes and some of the tensions really ran really high in it and i think it's hard to like look at the redistricting plan which is you know this plan that will define the next decade of politics in alaska by setting the election boundaries and, and senate pairings and like not feel kind of personally invested in it because it's like going to, you know, it's it's making these huge decisions. So which is all to say there's some good and some really bad and and kind of contained in in all of this.
0: Yeah. So every 10 years we do the census and then, um, and then Alaska goes in, and on the basis of population, we divide up the the forty House districts and the twenty Senate districts, um, and then that shapes our elections for the next decade, right? So that mm-hmm. so it's it's pretty high stakes because uh, what can happen during that process is that elections the the uh, candidates could be put into districts against other incumbents. They could be moved out of the district that they've been representing. Um, uh, people could be a uh, population of a town could shrink and they could lose representation or a population of a place could grow and they could gain representation. Um, so it really shifts the balance of political power. Um, and then the process is always sort of one that's um, basically it's one of those things that like, I, I feel like you just can't get right. Like either it's going to yeah. tip, it's going to tip in someone's favor somewhere along the line and there's going to be some cry of gerrymandering. Um, and it's just sort of this like messy, thing that no one is ever going to agree on and sort of the best solution is everyone's a little bit upset but it kind of lands in the middle (laughs) and 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 i i don't know if we got there this year but i think that there there were some concessions um that went both that went kind of tipped in both directions and sort of a more Mm -hmm. conservative more progressive um and it, it was it was an interesting process for me to watch and i you know,
1: I. Yeah. I know <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think it, it's it's one of those things. that's tough because it's like you know, ostensibly supposed to be nonpartisan. It's supposed to be you know, represent. You know, you look at kind of we'll we'll get into this right, but you look at kind of at the back at the sort of the groundwork that the you know the framers of the last constitution um, talked about, and it's you know, it's really about making sure everyone has equal representation. That they're f- sort of the the districts are sort of repre- closely representative of the communities and the people that live in them. And sort of are free from political considerations. Of course, that's like definitely not the case recently. Uh, in, in my kind of personal experience, covering it and, and watching it, um,
0: well, it's hard. To, it's hard to it's hard to put political considerations aside when your entire job is setting up the political configuration of the state, right?
1: Right, and I think you know, and, and I think you know the the discussion about how you know. You know, they're not supposed to know where uh, candidates live, right? They're not supposed to know like the political leanings of these districts. And of course, you look at some of these maps. You especially look at the 2010 maps, where there was the Kawasaki finger, which is this whole other story. But um, are you going
0: to tell me about the Kawasaki finger right now? Give me the give yeah. me a short give me the short okay. version. Kawasaki so, finger. So
1: okay, so they're not supposed to know where candidates live, right? And so. But then all of a sudden, this map, uh, you know, there's literally it looks like a finger pointing out of this big sort of bulbous district. uh, And there's a little finger that goes out and it kind of just goes along this road in Fairbanks. And then it it kind of balloons at the end of it and grabs this like one neighborhood and it grabs it from the kind of West Fairbanks district where uh, then Representative Scott Kawasaki, a Democrat in 2006 – And and so, you know, reaches out of Steve Thompson's district, a Republican, a very conservative district, uh, grabs and grabs this little area. And there's kind of no really clear rhyme or reason why they would have done this, uh, except for uh, Sonia Kawasaki's house is there. And the whole allegation and I still this is all allegation because it was never really clearly like proven one way or another. Is the allegation was that the re- Republican members of the board looked up, pr- you know, property registration records of Kawasaki, saw Sonia assume that was Scott's wife and put that house into this district. It's his sister's house. And. Uh, and so they wouldn't have even have grabbed him in the first place, but it's, it and it ended up like getting thrown out because not because of gerrymandering, which is this really interesting issue, or which is you know the kind of the claim we hear with everything—it's gerrymandering, gerrymandering. But it was it was thrown out because it wasn't compact, right? It's this bizarre little protuberance, finger, knob, whatever kind of—I uh, think there's several different words that they've used to describe it, but sticky outy bit. Yeah. And, and every, to everyone looking at it, it was sort of partisan. Um, but it ended up getting thrown out on like a different issue, which is, I think, a really kind of, that's this sort of interesting spot where we, how we look at redistricting, right, is, I think, you know, there is sort of what feels obvious, you know, what feels like it's wrong, what feels like it's political or racial gerrymandering. But you start to look at like, how, how things are supposed to work in the system. And like those considerations are like not super like high on the list. Like it's not, there's not like a really like a clear law that says like, you can't partisan gerrymander because like also like, what does that even mean? Right. And like the system kind of is partisan gerrymandering like, you know, fundamentally. And so there's like all these other elements of the plan. And so I think that's what's going to be interesting with the current plan we can talk about more of the sort of elements of it there but like you know there's a lot of these claims about you know what's partisan what's intentional all these sort of things and and it kind of gets away from the core issues of like what's you know the last of the constitution talks about what's compact contiguous and relatively socioeconomically integrated and those are kind of the main Sort of boundaries by which they define things, and so you know, and realistically, you can kind of get into a lot. You can kind of make a lot of trouble with with while operating within those boundaries. And I think that's sort of, sort of just sort of how it works in some way. And it's kind of this frustrating disconnect. I think you know, you kind of look at you know like le- big ticket legal cases, right? Recently, and you know, there's like what's morally and ethically right. Though it feels obvious to to most people, I would say, and and there's kind of what the, how the law works, and is are not necessarily the same thing. And like, what's moral and ethical is not necessarily what's constitutional legal. And so, I it's I think it it kind of to me is this really interesting sort of issue because it's kind of grabs all these extraordinarily like wonky things and all pulls them together into one big like mess. And it's kind of fun to unpack a little bit. There's you know the politics. There's You know, community, there's there's, you know, economic er, or population growth and losses. And then there's like this legal element and public policy. And
0: so this board is appointed by, um, you know, by the president of the Senate the speaker of the house the chief justice of the supreme court of alaska and the governor right so those who gets two who gets two right so we've got a five person board the governor gets two those everyone else gets one but there's the the idea is that you know these are elected and appointed officials that hold positions of trust in our government and ideally we as a society are electing kind of people who are morally and ethically sound and are going to appoint people to these positions that are morally and ethically sound and so like the you know i i think we put these parameters on what makes a good uh district right so it has to be compact it can't be all like wibbly it has to be contiguous you can't have like a bit here and a bit there and a bit there um You know, it has to follow geographic features, things like that. You know, we kind of put those boundaries on it. And then I think that like this decision about what is moral, what is ethical, you know, that kind of comes down to the individual. And I think we saw that play out um, in, Mm -hmm. in this redistricting effort. You know, there were so, you know, talking again about composition. So the people on the board. Um, this year there was, uh, John Binkley was the chair of the, of the redistricting board. Uh, he's, uh, kind of a Fairbanks interior guy. Um, um, you know, deep pockets, been in, been in the legislature. Uh, he was appointed by Senator, uh, Kathy Geisel, right. Mm-hmm. Um, who was the president. And then, um, uh, who did Dunleavy appoint? He appointed Bethany um,
1: Markham of Anchorage. Uh, you know her from the alaska policy forum you know right right wing think tank uh who's kind of honestly has never really been taken all that seriously by any like just this this organization has just sort of always been we could we could spend a whole lot of time on that anyways and then uh bud simpson of uh juno i believe and
0: you know uh, he's a lawyer as well so he's he's got a lot of uh you know experience in this uh, kind of walking the legal line there, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, so and then, who who was appointed by the Speaker of the House?
1: Former House Speaker Bryce Edgman, uh appointed Nicole Baromio. Um, she's the executive vice president and general counsel for the Alaska Federation of Natives. Um, she's really well respected. Uh, I think she had to like actually miss out on some parts of the public testimony because she like went to Washington D.C. to like testify to Congress about. Redistricting and Alaskan or a native representation in the process, and then um, the final appointee is Melanie Banky. Uh, she was appointed by, I guess, now also former Supreme Court Justice uh, Joel Bolger, and she is from uh, Nome.
0: Yeah, and she's the yeah. president of Querrick, and you might remember her if you follow Alaska politics because she had she had one of the like best moments of. Um, of the past several years where when, when governor Dunleavy was doing his um, roadshow, when he went around to the communities and wouldn't let people ask questions and just sort of told them what to think about things.
1: She had to sign up for Americans for prosperity. Uh, It was was
0: ridiculous. And so she stood up in this meeting in Nome and raised her hand and everyone in the meeting pointed at her and she basically like broke the meeting and got to address the governor and ask her questions. And it was sort of this watershed moment in Dunleavy's kind of, you know, weirdly paternal budgeting process.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah.
0: So anyways, I, so the board composition isn't like a, um, it it wasn't this year. It wasn't like a clean sweep. It wasn't just like, Mm -hmm. we're going to do whatever we want. It was, it was a complicated board um that had uh kind of varying interests and actually i think it was a pretty good representation of alaska so like the you know if you look at that board composition and you look at who's on the board i I think that it um the people on the board reflect a lot of the values and and ideas of the people who live here um at least in in my opinion i think it was a Mm -hmm. good good spread and um because of that there were some (laughs) robust discussions so yeah um, it felt like it was getting really weird at the beginning and then it smoothed out and it got like, it looked like it was a great process. And then at the end there were some like very last minute, uh, shenanigans.
1: So, you know, honestly, I wasn't super tuned into the initial process. I think it was just like one of those, I was one of the things where I was like, okay, I'll tune in when they're starting to kind of finally, uh, map it together. So if you want to talk about the early process and, and, and kind of your experience, um, yeah, testifying well, sh- it'd be interesting. Yeah. Sure.
0: So I I saw that the redistricting board was having a meeting in Juno and I went to testify because um they had lumped um the, the uh Oak Bay area in Juneau, um in with the downtown area in what appeared to be an effort to, to place two of our incumbent, uh, representatives into the same district. And this was like one of those really bizarre stretches where they sort of reached across a broad population with this long little skinny line and looped in this one neighborhood with like a weird little bump. It was like a little wart on a tentacle as, as how it was described. And it, uh, you know, it, a bunch of Juno came out because of that. And, um, so the meeting in Juno was a little heated, and I think that the the, um, the initial trust uh, wasn't wasn't really there. Like, oh well, we don't know where anyone lives. How could we possibly, you know, what a what an odd accident. This is because of these census zones. And so, you know, I got this opportunity to sit down with staff and to like look at the process and to see how they do things. And there are weird things that happen because of these census zones so like the state is broken down into very small like puzzle pieces um these little census areas and they're not always you know square or triangle or any shape you might recognize sometimes they're like weird sprawling messes Mm -hmm. and so when they loop those into districts they can be really um they can make them look uh strange and sometimes that's because of geographic areas they run along a river or a hillside um And so there's something to that, um, to the shape of some of these districts. There's like, they're not clean cut lines always because they follow geographical features. And it was interesting to watch them like work through their software. I remember thinking that it was really clunky. I don't know if they ironed that out, but they're, when they went to like set up the machine, it like didn't work and they had to like switch laptops. And then they had to like, you know, it was one of those things where it was like that kind of awkward technology thing of like, wow, you guys are kind of working with one hand behind your back here. But they eventually got it set up and kind of showed me what they were working with. And what I came to understand through the process was that it wasn't so much about where does this person live? It was about what are these top level decisions that the board is making about economic uh, continuity? Like, you know, why does the, why does Bay, which is like, does not shop or eat or, you know, like it, it, like their main services aren't. Down in Douglas, um, mm-hmm. why do they feel that those two things need to be put together? And so, like, once you start thinking about this kind of like the big picture constitutional issues, I realize that like, okay, my my testimony doesn't need to be don't put these two candidates in the same district because that doesn't hold any water. My testimony mm-hmm. needs to be the people who live in Oak Bay are not you know socioeconomically linked to the people of Douglas in the same way they're, they're socioeconomically linked to the people of the Hall Valley who are their next door neighbors and they share schools and, and grocery stores mm-hmm. with. And so that was, that was kind of the thing that the main takeaway that I got initially was that like, no matter what they're trying to do, they have to kind of justify it within this bigger framework. Um, I think I was a little annoyed because uh, you know, one of the board members when I was testifying said, well, we don't look at where these people live and we don't know, we don't, we couldn't possibly understand that Andy story <laughs> and Sarah Hannon are in the same district right now. And to me, that was, uh, you know, that felt like a lie because I had already written to the board weeks earlier and said, again complained about that very problem right so either I mean, it shows to me that they're not reading my my testimony or that they're or they're somehow able to like mind wipe themselves
1: and not remember that one was <laughs> just like so obviously intentional i mean in my opinion i mean again i guess it's just an allegation i just could we could never know if they really knew you know
0: right it's 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 speculation but i i you know i i talked to some of the the staff and i don't think that I don't think that they really put their thumbs on the scale. I think that they're just going off of sort of general board uh, concepts, and when the board says this area is linked to this area, they try to to follow that instruction. Yeah,
1: and so I think that yeah. I mean, I think so I would. Yeah, I'm not casting any perspersions on staff members. I think actually did an excellent job this yeah. time around. But
0: so, anyways, the early part, the early process for me was one of like, holy cow, they lumped all these demo, you know, democratic progressive. Uh, uh, house, uh, coalition, uh, members into, uh, into districts where they have to face off against each other. Uh, and one of them will be eliminated. And then they move forward with the process and it felt like they actually resolved a lot of these issues after people gave testimony. And it, it, I was, I was actually surprised, but pleasantly surprised that so much of that um, so much of what felt broken in the early maps was resolved as we got further along in the process. Um, what really surprised me was when uh, the Anchorage maps proposed by um, you know Dunleavy appointee Markham, uh, which were very wibbly and had sort of like lightning bolt shapes and big S's and uh, you know, th- they were not well defended by her and they were not well presented. And the board ended up choosing Borromeo's map over hers. And that was a much more contiguous, clean cut map for the Anchorage area. And it was shocking to me that the board voted, you know, th- three to two in favor of that map. And it was like, holy cow, we're going to get, we're we're getting pretty decent districts out of this for the house. And at that point, I kind of felt like, oh, wow, this board's, like, really doing the work.
1: And to, be, and to be clear, too, that, like, the map that they ended up adopting still pairs together two Democratic incumbents. You know, it's not, like, you know, this, like, ultra, like, partisan, like, left-leaning plan. I think there's, like, some – I think we kind of um, kind of fall into the trap of, you know, one side, I think, is really adamant about, you know, there, there's some, some pretty clear partisan – Efforts, I think, on the on the conservative side of it, right? I think we kind of you know saw it in, in the in the sort of snaking maps from Anchorage and some of the initial efforts. And if you look at the 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 map that Brumio, uh drew that they ended up accepting for the Anchorage area House districts, like it doesn't necessarily like hand them a huge advantage or Democrats a huge advantage. I think it like truly is a fair and representative map that like does a pretty good job at like uh respecting the existing boundaries as best as like me a person who's lived in Anchorage for like 3 years now understands them and I think that was a to me a really good thing it was um you know wasn't inherently political it was you know first and foremost a you know accurate representation of the communities and their existing connections and I think that is like really respectable. I think that's like a good way of doing it. And I think, you know, and so there's gonna be like tough decisions. I think um, you look at representatives, uh, Zach Fields and Harriet Drummond are now sharing a district. Representatives Chris Tuck and Andy Josephson are sharing a district. There's the two Democrats on the Republican side. There's two out in Eagle River, uh, Merrick and McCarty that now are in a district. Um, there's senators, uh, Costello and Von Imhoff who are in a district. Uh, and there's um, Matt Clayman and Sarah Rasmussen, a Democrat. The only kind of cross party pairing there um, is. And so, you know, there's kind of tough, you know, there's tough incumbent sort of things all around. And, and honestly, and this is just a little bit of personal point of view is like, I kind of, I'm not super motivated by the argument that like pairing of incumbents is inherently wrong or anything like that. Like I think you look at the, the case with Andy Story and it was like this weird one where it was like clearly like severing local, true local socioeconomic connections in the area. And I think that is why to me it's like so kind of. Greaseful, yeah, yeah it was, and it,
0: it, that was bad. But you're right; it's not like who cares if you if people if if these areas change or if someone's like in, mm-hmm. in another person. That's just sort of how it works. So and and yeah, then, you know that. and,
1: and then for every district paired together, there's a new open district too, and so. You know, there's, uh, you know, there's two, I think, Democrat leaning districts in that in Anchorage area that will now be open. And there's one Republican one that's open that um, will be, you know, and I think those are really, you know, great opportunities, because I think, you know, the one of the biggest barriers for getting new voices and new perspectives in the legislature is the people that are already holding those seats. Right. And if especially if they. Or share your party it becomes you know uncomfortable or you're burning bridges right if you are an upstart who um you know goes against the 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 loved longtime democrat or republican right and and it so i think sort of opening up new opportunities is really a, a cool part of that you know so i i guess i'm just not all that heartbroken that we have to send a couple people packing to be honest because it's yeah. like they're never guaranteed you know the seats are the seats belong to the voters to the community they don't belong to any of these elected officials so.
0: that's, yeah that's a great way of putting it um so in terms of like the other areas of the state you've lived in fairbanks before i i feel like fairbanks ha- had sort of like a uh, I don't know if they were done dirty or if they just are kind of like experiencing the tragedy of population loss. But like Fairbanks is an area of the state that lost some population, lost some Mm -hmm. representation. And because of that, they really had to dice things up differently. Uh, And it meant putting um, people who are arguably part of the community kind of on the outside of the community and um, and, you know, like representation in. It it meant putting people who like live in Goldstream, that's like an area tied to the university and tied to the city into sort of like rural Alaska district. So I don't right I don't know if you have specific thoughts about that, but for me it felt like uh that was just always gonna be a tough one.
1: Yeah, I mean it was always so the issue there the kind of the the, the fundamental issue is that the city the Fairbanks North Star Borough had about four thousand additional um population that um that couldn't be kept in it, you know, as far as the number, it didn't divide evenly into house seats. Right. So they kind of get, I think wholly they get three or five house seats that are wholly their own. And then 4,000 excess population had to come out from somewhere. Right. And so there was kind of really two different sort of areas where it could have, I think easily could have come from. And so it is either, you know, this 4,000 people, who live in a very prog- you know pretty progressive you know high turnout area of Goldstream Valley so so Fairbanks
0: had a population decrease and and because of sort of like how these districts divide up we're trying to put roughly 18,000 people in in, mm-hmm. a, in a house district, um, the population of Fairbanks didn't divide up very well, and and about 4,000-ish or so people in Fairbanks needed to be kind of, like, moved outside of the Fairbanks uh, borough house districts, right? Yeah. So, and the question came down to, like, is it going to be this, like, progressive enclave north of the university, um, or is it going to be the military base, right? Like, was that, mm-hmm. that was kind of the two areas that were being... Discussed, and that right. was that was a really interesting conversation to me because, you know, like it feels like this organic community that's part of the university and like shops in Fairbanks and very it's like, closely tied. And then you've got like a uh, uh, feels to me like this like like a military installation feels very transient by nature. And I know that they have close ties to a community, but they're also
1: like kind of a community in and of themselves. Right, and then it, and then it also grabs that. So then, what it happens is they also keep in um, some of the communities that are are east of the military base. So it's like Salcha, um, uh, Moose Creek, I think is what it is. Yeah, um, but these are areas that are like closer to the the actual other communities in, in in this rural interior district on the road, at least. So you know, there's a pretty you know. From Again, speaking from like personal experience, like Salcha is like kind of closer to Delta Junction, um, which is in the interior district, or at least kind of more closely resembling, more closely, I think, tied to it um, than this progressive area Fairbanks is. And so anyway, so what the kind of the end result of it is that this district that Representative Greyer Hopkins was in that would have kind of been in bulk these 4,000 votes of the Goldstream Valley end up, you know, his, his ends up being this military base and conservative area where it like shifts from like plus four Biden or something to like plus 25 Trump, if you look at the last election results. So it becomes incredibly difficult all of a sudden. And, you know, I, I think like, again, it's, you know, I could, I can don't, Necessarily care about like the fate of the incumbent themselves in here, but this the, this wild sort of swing is really is kind of remarkable. And so, the, the real that is probably one of the most, I mean, I think it is the most um, big sort of political shift of any house district by, by some analysis that um, uh, on Twitter is uh, Alaskan Robbie uh, Robert Hakama is his name. Uh, I think I don't know if that's how yeah. you pronounce it, but. Um, but, yeah, so, and so it's the most sort of wildly, the biggest swing of any of districts. So this is one of the areas where I think there's some, you know, the arguments would be over whether or not, it, you know, these areas are truly socioeconomically integrated. Are they compact? Are they contiguous? And so those are the questions there. And, again, it's not going to be – they're not going to win that argument on saying, well, they're really mean to, you know, Representative Hopkins. Right. It's going to be – you know, were they really mean, I guess, or, you know, or disrespectful or, or whatever to the you know, the voters of the area, their, their representation, their voices? I,
0: I think one other uh, one other thing that I that felt like a pretty big issue um, in, in the redistricting this year was the uh, Senate. Groupings and, and yes, yeah, and in particular, oh, well, forgot
1: about that one, yeah. <laughs> in, in
0: particular, the one the Eagle River Senate grouping. So, Eagle River is a community that is uh, an annex of, of Anchorage. It's, um, it's uh, what uh, like what 15 minute drive outside of town, 15 20 minutes, something yeah. like that. And it's uh, it's a pretty conservative area, it's almost kind of a, a city in and of itself. But they are, as part of the municipality of Anchorage, they're they are part of that city. And there's even a movement, uh, Eagle exit movement to like create their own sort of municipal government and separate themselves from Anchorage. Um, and they have a fair bit of autonomy, but the way this was handled was that the, the two house districts overlapping Eagle, Eagle river were not grouped into a single Senate district. They were split. And so one of those Senate districts reaches down into Anchorage, into um, into a fairly uh, uh, progressive and uh, diverse neighborhood. That uh, you know it, it can be seen as like sort of like trying to like bring in a conser- you know like another conservative senator, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, that probably doesn't represent those folks down there. And then um, and then the other side of the Eagle River district got paired with uh, Jay Bear. And, and some of that northern side of Anchorage right
1: yeah it reaches I mean it reaches all the way into downtown Anchorage so that right district. So, up to Third Avenue
0: right so you've, yeah. yeah so 49th state Brewing is now uh, like represented by that Eagle River senator mm-hmm. and and so that that was kind of a big thing um, a big moment of contention and something that the board really had some words about you know basically uh, board member Markham, didn't really provide any reason for these pairings
1: I mean she basically argued that like Eagle River has this really strong connection to um, the military base and that it has like a special claim that overrides any other area of, of Anchorage's connection to the military base and it even is so strong that it overrides Eagle River's connection to Eagle River right? And so there was like, you know, there was a lot of questioning in it. And I think it, it I mean, it kind of, it got, it got heated. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think the, the, the thing is, is that what is so frustrating from like a public policy perspective is that um, board members, Borromeo and Banky especially, were really raising a lot of like concerns just about like, is this the best thing, best pairing that we can do? You know, is this the most representative of the communities here? And we never really got like a clear answer. You know, we never got a clear rebuttal, right, from them that, you know, so we have, you know, two e- e- two Eagle River districts and two Muldoon districts, right? And and for some reason, they decided to split both of them up in a way that, you know, Eagle River is kind of in the driver's seat for two, dis- two, two Senate districts now, whereas um, the Muldoon districts are kind of you know out in the cold for how they're being represented now and they don't they're like no longer in the driver's seat for how they for their senate representation and so you know they were at a place where they could have their could have basically decided their own and now they're in a place where you know they'll have to be sharing it with eagle river and umed yeah um, district and i think that's kind of the that's sort of the key argument that Banky and Borromeo were making into into the final minutes of the whole thing. And there's a whole lengthy, you know, kind of issue about the process and and how they were reached this There was kind of like closed door meetings and agreements that kind of came out of them that were sort of never fully explained on the record. To me, that I think is like one of the really sort of frustrating elements of it is that, you know, politics aside, you know, you should be able to defend what you're doing i think and it sort of you know it kind of goes to a lot of things right it's like if you can't if you're unwilling or unable to defend your action in 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 the full light of the public then maybe you shouldn't be doing it right like i think that's i think whatever you do regardless of the political impact or or the rationale behind it you should be able to explain with a straight face while you're doing it. And I think that is to me what is still so frustrating about how the process ended up falling apart is that, you know, there were, were votes where you know, the the closing of the, the the final day, right, featured like a very long kind of impassioned speeches by Borromeo and Banky about their concerns. You know, especially the the main concern is that you know. These districts are are have these Muldoon districts in East Anchorage have these extremely high concentrations of minority voters. I mean, the main concern
0: is that it's unconstitutional.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so there's this is big, deep concern that it doesn't these pairings don't pass muster. And then, you know, the response was eh, no comment. You know, from Markham and Simpson, they just didn't have anything to say about it. And right, let's and vote on it. Let's just vote on it. And I think that is what is so frustrating to me about how it ended up playing out is that it just kind of doesn't feel good right yeah. and it,
0: well the that, whole the whole yeah. process was was kind of flawed in the end because you have all of these big decisions being made on the last day with no opportunity for public comment. So mm-hmm. like what they should have, you know, what I feel like they should have done is they should have put out this map with these Senate pairings and allowed the public to comment it before they made their final decision. Because yeah. really what they did is they put themselves in a position of two bad meetings over. No one
1: can say anything now. And yeah, if you, know, you feel, if, if you don't like it, you can sue. Which yeah. is like, can, I don't, I can't I don't have the resources to sue I don't think you do like it's and so that's what I think is so fresh it's like a completely disingenuous sort of response to it is that oh if you don't like it sue and it's like can you know can yeah. can, can you really sue you yeah. know do I really have the resources to stand up a two year legal effort right and I think yeah I mean that's I'm still mad about it you know this is right. that's what I think is still so frustrating about it is that like beyond you know, this is always going to be an inherently political, political process, like despite any sort of like claims to the contrary, but like at least, at least humor us. Yeah. Know?
0: I think, I mean, I think there could have just been like, a, like let's let it sit for a week and let people comment on the work we've done. And then we'll decide if there's any changes we want to make. Uh, you know, I feel like just that addition to the process would have been great because it would have mm-hmm. given people a chance to at least like, Put down on paper. The last piece of public testimony I sent in to them was praising them for how good a job they did on the House districts. And then I'm like, oh, well, I guess I didn't get to send in my, like, you guys really screwed up the Senate districts email because it was over already before I even had a chance right. to, like, look at them. And so it was, you know, that, that's really frustrating as a citizen to feel like um you know it it felt very backroom. it felt like okay they're going to go into executive session they're going to come out and vote on it and we're not going to get to hear the discussion and it didn't feel like a public process it didn't feel like it was um you know geared towards the best results it felt like it was it felt like it was a political power play and um you know that's (laughs) and 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 now the only resolution for that is to go to the courts so That'll be kind of that'll
1: be kind of interesting, which is so easy for everyone to do. Yeah, success. That's, well, that's but, the thing about the legal system; it's extraordinarily accessible. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay.
0: So, um, so tell me a little bit about how this compared to the last time you covered this ten years ago. Plucky young reporter Mac <laughs> Buxton is covering the redistricting in Alaska.
1: Fresh faced. Yeah, I mean uh, that was. That is, yeah, I mean, that to me, just on a personal level, it's like this really interesting sort of like, I don't know, this really interesting sort of just experience to have is that like the one of the very first sort of major political stories that I covered in Alaska was the redistricting board. The last round of lawsuits, it was specifically the last round of lawsuits over that whole process. I actually didn't cover any of the process because it did all pretty much happen by the time I was showing up Um yeah, so you and... just kind of caught
0: the tail end and got to go into the court and, like, get the... Yeah, So they were just, like, hyper-focused on specific details of, like, who talked to who and said what. or.
1: Yeah, so it, it was an interesting process because I think it was a little bit of a scatter shot approach to it. Um, it was specifically the lawsuit then was really brought by Fairbanks area plaintiffs. There were some from other areas in the state, but really the, the lawsuit really, like, heavily revolved around Fairbanks. And there was kind of... There was a district that, like, grabbed the Goldstream Esther area and tied it to this, like, weird uh, uh, in- rural district that reached all the way to the, the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, for a while, like, David Guttenberg was a coastal, you know, this guy from Fairbanks, es- you know, Esther area. Very, very crunchy guy. I You know, kind of a character. He's great. Um, but Now, you know, now, he's, he's now kinda... on
0: the Fairbanks Assembly.
1: Yeah, now on the Fairbanks Assembly. Um, but, yeah, he kind of, you know, he had this Weird district and so there's that, there was some there was the Kawasaki finger that we talked about, there was you know, there was a Senate district that was that was connected by like a field, um you know, across a river that was I think maybe like three hundred feet wide connection, you know, and so um just a lot of like stuff in there that was that was um you know, the the claim, right, what that they brought during it was that it was this like back room deal and they had testimony from you know Democratic staffer that looked like his Republican brother who had maybe been mistaken at a bar and one of the board members was like bragging to him about you know putting it to the Democrats and and so and well I think you know I read through went, went back and looked at all the reporting I did and and look, went back and read over the the um, the Supreme Court decisions in the case. And it was interesting because they didn't even touch any of these, like, claims of partisan gerrymandering. Like, it wasn't – they ended up kind of setting that all aside. And, and and they even really set aside a lot of the issue specific issues about, you know, the Kawasaki Finger, about a lot of these districts. And it really all came down to how – the process. And the the Supreme Court's final ruling really was that they didn't follow the Hickel process, which is this – basically – you build a map according to the Alaska Constitution's parameters, which is contiguous, uh, compact, relatively socioeconomically integrated, and then, like, not too far off from, you know, the ideal population. And then you judge it by the Voting Rights Act sort of requirements against dilution of, of minority voices. And um, they that was sort of, like, how it ended up all revolving around. And, and so it was really interesting because, you know, I think we... You know, again, you go back to this idea of like, what is moral and right, and you know, some stuff just seems so obvious, right, to us about like what the courts are gonna do or about what why something's wrong. And it ultimately came down to like, did you follow Hickel process? Why slash no, and it was no, so therefore the whole plan got thrown out. And so, I think it it's not. There's not there's like little bits and pieces here and there that are maybe informative to the today's process, but they're not necessarily the smoking gun, or like the slam dunk that we would maybe you might hope they were to deal with like the Senate district or Fairbanks' Fairbanks's out um, outline districts and there's quite a, and so basically it's 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 interesting so I think it's like there's kind of some untread ground here, um, in it all.
0: Yeah, and to. To tread that ground, sometimes the courts will go back to uh, you know the in, the t- intent and the language of the Constitution, which which you know as you know I I love <laughs> listening to constitutional convention uh, minutes and so uh, I feel like I, we need like a
1: transition I, music here. it
0: like some kind of old timey? Like, yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw it in. It's happening right now. The old-timey music is playing, and we're going to Constitutional Convention land.
1: You could be my uh, uh, Mr. Peabody, and I'll be Sherman, and you could take me back through history, and I'll learn a lesson.
0: All right, so so I've compiled for you, Matt, a, um, a collection of, uh, I, I, and this is by no means comprehensive, but a collection of, of interesting moments from the Constitutional Convention uh, as they relate to redistricting. And they, they actually spent a surprising amount of time on redistricting, well maybe not surprising, but they spent a lot of time on redistricting because it's one of the few things that the Constitution is really prescriptive about. You know, it's it's, it's one of the processes that's a, a fundamental process that decides how our government works. Um, and so they, they spent a ton of time talking about redistricting in the Constitutional Convention. Uh, initially, when they set up the redistricting process, the idea was that the redistricting board would be an advisory board to the governor. And so I'm just going to play a little bit of that conversation for you.
2: It was felt that it was a proper executive function as contrasted to legislative. And uh, although I think the objections to... Uh, objections would be greater to turning it over as a legislative function than to having it as a board well i wasn't uh, suggesting that it be turned over to the legislature but why bring the governor into this at all except to say that he shall appoint the board possible (coughs) they might feel that the the governor should appoint the board now it says but it's nice to have one man it would seem to me i'm trying to think of the recommendation that one man be ultimately responsible, one head, and that the ultimate responsibility would be placed there. As I said before, he could, I believe, theoretically, disregard the advice of his board. I think he could. But he would be answerable to the court because any error in redistricting is subject to review. Any departure from the limitations imposed in the Constitution, theoretically he'd have the discretion, but he'd have that mandamus as a check, public opinion as a check, recall and so on, as I stated before. The language on page four, the second paragraph of section five says, the board shall submit to the governor a plan. Yes. And the governor shall issue Uh a proclamation showing the results of such reapportionment or redistricting, which shall be effective. Now, where he has any discretion in there, I don't see. We felt entirely differently on that, that the use of the word advisory made it purely an advisory board. And uh, we wanted the plan, though, to be submitted and submitted in writing, so that if the governor did go off, there would be a record of what he went off from. And we could show, the people could show, where he departed from the considered judgment of this advisory board. What advantage would there be and what is there, you say it's here, to permit the governor to depart from the plan of reinforcement which this nonpartisan board, which has studied it, recommends to him? Very, very little, but uh, he might think of something they didn't think of. Well, I'm I'm afraid he would, and that's why I think it would be better to have it done by the board itself or else
0: to allow the governor no discretion. So that's the thing. I fucking, <laughs> uh,
2: isn't that great? It's so good. Yeah. It's like, what
0: what advantage? Well, very little, but he might think of something they didn't think of. I'm afraid he would. And I'm just imagining, like, if Governor Dunleavy right now was able to take the advice of this redistricting process and then make whatever changes he wanted to it, how, how bananas that would just be. Like, like, can you imagine what that would look like? Yeah. So I'm really glad (laughs) that this this is not an advisory board. I think that the the sort of the nonpartisan shape of the board that we have is is really important to this process. And I think we saw it, it, you know, there was times it worked and times it didn't work, but it, it played out at least here. And it was much better than having like one executive make the final decision about redistricting.
3: Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, And then, you know, they, they get into a whole bunch of debates. They talk about, like, what if the legislature did redistricting? And they, and they talk about, like, how bad that is in other states and how, like, why they didn't want to do that and, you know, how invested the legislators themselves are in, in preserving their own seats. And all of a sudden it just becomes about, like, holding and retaining power. And so there's a lot of, a lot of good discussion and, and uh, you start to we kind of begin to understand the shape of why we have the redistricting board we have
1: it's also really interesting i mean just a, a side note is that you know in a, in a time where we there's a active effort to have a new constitutional convention i just don't see it ever playing out like this thoughtfully like you know there's there's some thoughtful debate going on here uh you know genuine differences of opinions and it's just i don't i don't think it would happen the same way you know and i think there's There's like a decorum that's that's maybe a little bit yeah and maybe it's just the kind of like folksy language that they're using but uh i don't know i think it's it 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 uh it's interesting to see kind of look back at this stuff in in some in this kind of detail
0: yeah well one of the one of the things that was pointed out to me is that the the constitutional convention in alaska was um you know there was no guarantee we were going to be a state and so it was it was a little bit of an exercise in proving that we could. And the people who came to the table for that constitutional convention were the ones that believed in statehood for Alaska and believed in that process. And so, you know, I think a lot of the, like, Dunleavy's and Eastman's of the time would have not been involved in this process because they wouldn't have wanted more government. They were the ones that were saying Alaska should not be a state. We should not have government. We should just kind of be able to be our root and toot and selves out in the woods here. And so, (laughs) you know, now we have a broader discussion because we are a state and so we have more voices that are are involved And Yes. a, A constitutional convention today would be a lot more contentious. Also, we'd be listening to these tapes in real time, which would be pretty wild. I don't know if they're, I'm not sure if they were broadcast over the radio or anything back then, but it would have been much harder to keep track of what was going on. Um, I mean, I'm sure the newspapers did, but now, you know, you're talking about getting a newspaper out to a community Mm -hmm. is, it takes days, right? Okay. Before I jump into another clip, I want to talk a little bit about another element of this. You know, they're not just talking about the redistricting board and how it functions. They're talking about the legislature and how it functions. And so there were a lot of discussions about like, do we have a unicameral or a bicameral legislature? Do we, is it worth having a House and a Senate? Should we just have a single body? Um, and so I'm not sure if I want to play that or not. There's, um.
1: yeah, we're getting, we're getting deep there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah okay. I'll, 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 I'll skip that. I'll save but, that one for another day. Yeah. But, but it, but it was kind of part of this discussion is like, how do we, you know, Informing these districts, not not only how do we form them, but what do we want them to look like? um Okay, the one that I think is actually really important is uh, under Article Six, uh, Legislative Apportionment. Um, there's some pretty specific stuff about, you know, like what you talked about earlier. Consideration may be given to local government boundaries, drainage, and other geographic features shall be used in describing boundaries whenever possible. That kind of thing. So, the the thing that I thought was was interesting in here is I I was looking at the, uh, at that Senate pairing in Eagle River, and uh, I wanted to know what it said specifically about the Senate versus what it said about the House. So it says, each Senate district shall be composed as near as practicable of two contiguous House districts. Consideration may be given to local government boundaries. Drainage and other geographic features shall be used in describing boundaries wherever possible. And I thought it was interesting they used the word may there. Uh, in consideration may be given to local government boundaries, right?
1: And what does consideration mean, too? Like consideration could be, well, I considered it, right? <laughs> yeah, know? and then and, decided to ignore it.
0: And and the uh, you know the drainage part, drainage and other geographic features shall be used in describing boundaries is is a really important one in that Senate pairing in particular because, as you pointed out, there's kind of a large mountainous area between the. The Muldoon area and um, and that part of Eagle River that they yeah, prepared, which like, is empty,
1: yeah,
0: right. And so that that's the part that's the constitutional part where I think that that Senate pairing could really get hung up. Um, but I wanted to just take a second and look at that word "may" there because there's a good good bit of discussion about
2: it. We went over it carefully in the committee. It's a matter of emphasis. Uh, the committee felt and some. Two felt that there should be no language along this line at all, but the committee felt that the principle should be expressed in section two, but that it should be de-emphasized. And uh, they were willing to adopt and recommend this language that may give consideration to local government boundaries. Note not to uh, their coincidence, but just merely that may give consideration to local government boundaries. That language, uh, the committee felt, would be appropriate if it were necessary to include any such language. But that, from an emphasis viewpoint, that the other language proposed might result in the situation where too much emphasis were given to the... uh, uh, considerations of the local government boundaries and to whatever boundaries had been fixed.
3: Mr. Cooper.
2: Mr. President, in the way that I understand the amendment, the word says, shall be adjusted. You have hamstrung the apportioning board that is set up in this article, whereby they shall adjust the future election and senatorial district boundaries to the local government boundaries. Mm-hmm. I was one that was... Actually, didn't particularly care in committee to see any mention of this it should be in the local government committee reports but in as much as it was presented by a delegate I thought that the at least should be watered down the seed has been planted and it should say may be adjusted not shall be adjusted and if I'd like to amend with the permission of the delegate that submitted this amendment Amend the word from "shall be" to "maybe."
0: I thought it was interesting that they were really intentional about that that word "may." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they didn't they didn't want uh, the governmental, local government boundaries to hang up the other parts of the um, consideration, right? So, drainage takes a like big priority over that. So the fact that Eagle River is part of Anchorage and that, you know, that Muldoon is part of Anchorage and they're kind of part of the same government boundaries really is not as important as that drainage element. They live in a, in a world where it's not as easy to hop over a mountain and actually, okay, yeah. so there's one really good piece that I'll play for you along those lines.
3: Uh, live and Good is connected to Fairbanks by a road. It is connected by a scheduled airline. They get all their supplies from Fairbanks. They get their mail from Fairbanks. Now, I can see you followed the height of land there, more or less, but Good is right in the, just in the edge of the hills, and you would not necessarily have to abandon that for principles if you just came down off the summit, down to the foothills there. <laughs> sure. Mr. Coghill, Mr. Barr, we uh, used the watershed principle. In drawing these lines, the water from the Lavengood area flows into the Tolavana River, and the Tolavana River flows into the Tanana River at this, the community called Tolavana. It is on the south side of that range. The watershed flows this way. There will be no question in anybody's mind if these boundaries are preserved as to what election district they are in because on one side of the line all the water flows to the Yukon on the north side of the range, and all the water flows south into the Tananaw and into the Yukon on the other side. The I understand that perfectly. And uh, you use that method in utter disregard of the social or economic aspects of the case. I don't believe so, Mr. Barr. I think well, that uh, the economic area of Latinwood would be just as contiguous to Fairbanks as, as Manly Hot Springs. Or Eureka, or no, Walmart. no, there's no road to Manly Hot Springs. They don't get the mm. uh, the uh, mining out there is closely connected with Fairbanks. They get all their supplies and employees from here. There's just no comparison at all. I think you've abandoned your principle of boundary in that particular case there, except for using the drainage system. Lymanland was
2: never mentioned as such in the committee uh, discussions not not at all and you may you may very well have have a point there uh, now that's the one of the aspects of this plan that's where your redistricting would would be an adequate subject for redistricting that and i imagine there will be other similar cases whittier was a dandy uh, i ask you to focus your attention on the problem of whittier Which is on the other side of the watershed, but which was where the water—the mountain was pierced by a tunnel, thus eliminating the barrier. You get thinking about that, and you can think and think and think. And your point would be live and good, and similar points. If an error has been made, that's a beautiful job for the redistricting board, and it is a good illustration of flexibility. So,
0: so, so, what they're talking about there is. Uh, you know, they're talking about breaking up these districts along these sort of geographical boundaries, but then how sometimes there there are socioeconomic factors that really bring a place into play. Like, you know, they talk about a mining camp that is essentially based out of Fairbanks or they talk about, you know, punching a hole through a mountain that, that, that geographic boundary really doesn't exist in, in, in practicable terms because people can just run through the tunnel and now you're in, in Whittier. And so Whittier may as well be associated with the people on the other side of that, that tunnel. And, and ultimately what they landed on is that like the redistricting board should have some flexibility to make those decisions for themselves. And that's where it really comes down to kind of, You know, getting back to where we started, appointing good people to the redistricting board who are going to make good decisions and and hard decisions because we're there's going to be areas where we just don't agree. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I thought that whole little trip back was was useful and they, they tried to set up a system that could work for for a lot of years. Um, you know they they did talk about like they did talk about 19 you know what's going to happen in 1960 and 1970 and 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 beyond and you know 50 years from now are we gonna ha- are well will they just have another constitutional convention and fix this or do we need to make this so robust that it will you know it will last one of the problems they ran into in in their visioning of of the future is that Alaska is such a boom and bust economy that that they they really considered, um, we need a way to collapse districts when they, when they, go when, you know, like when all the people move out of this area. So mm-hmm. they had a whole process for like, if everyone moves out of Fairbanks because the mining's over, then that district collapses and becomes part of the neighboring district. And then the set, and then there's this weird thing where Senate districts have extra house districts because the districts have collapsed. And they eventually like, it, they eventually seem to have thrown all that out, but it was, um, you could tell they were responding to a sort of a population that moved really rapidly um, and maybe so rapidly that like the 10 year census wasn't able to keep up with it, with, um, you know, good representation. Another big argument they got into was about um, the, the Senate and the house, um, you know, essentially being the same thing. They're both based on population areas and why not just have one body? Um, there were, there were a lot of people that wanted to have um, the Senate districts represent uh, land or, or be um, tied to uh, judicial districts, um, or, or even be elected uh, as sort of like representatives of the whole. When you have statewide elections for at-large senators, then who wins? It's probably like the population center that gets the most representation. And so that, that was, it was it was a good, robust discussion. And uh, I think I'm pretty happy with where we landed ultimately. You know, the redistricting board itself, I think, does does its job. And, mm-hmm. and the thing that I'm really excited about is that we have something to now temper the redistricting board, and that is ranked choice voting. Because now, if you have a district, like we're talking about the Senate district that connects Eagle River to Muldoon, what that does is it sets up the potential for, instead of having a... Laura Reinbold representing Muldoon, it sets up a, a a situation where you're probably going to get a much more moderate Republican or a or a much more like central independent uh, senator for that area instead of having uh, a decision made in the primary by a minority of the residents.
1: Right. I think that's like the really interesting, like twist on it right is that you look at kind of how they read they drew all these maps it kind of is going by like this older understanding of like how things are supposed to work and and frankly with like redistricting we don't know how any of this is going to work right yeah. like we have some educated guesses but you know it is so much all of a sudden is thrown into kind of up in the air like it comes down to like who files to run and and you know it doesn't mean you know it And it doesn't mean just because you're the leading Republican doesn't mean you're going to win because you are no longer kind of protected and insulated by, you know, the semi-closed party primaries. And I think it, like, creates this really interesting element where it's like, you know, nothing's really guaranteed by how these maps are drawn, right? And so you look at the last round of redistricting in the Fairbanks area, there was this big question about whether or not the city of Fairbanks was due its own Senate district. It had two House seats, but does it therefore get its own Senate seat? And the original drawing of that plan in 2010 um, split Fairbanks in a way where the, the Democratic senator from the city of Fairbanks was now paired with the Democratic senator from the Goldstream Valley. And so, you know, there was this sort of, oh, my gosh, you're trying to get rid of one of them. You know, there's some partisan plan at work here. And so the the plan, the lawsuit ended up kind of the end result of it all was that they ended up in their own separate districts. Right. There was a city of Fairbanks district and there was this kind of outlying district. And what happened was both lost. Uh-oh, yeah. Oh, oops. Okay. Oops. yeah. Right. And <laughs> yeah, they both so, lost.
0: Yeah. So you can never know. And like you, you're going to set up like what the best possible scenario you think it is. And then you can still not get what you want out of it. Right. Because ultimately what it comes down to is what the voters turn out for and decide.
1: And it can change, you know, and that's the thing is that so that district, you know, in 2010 or after the 2010 round went to Republican. It's now held by Senator now Senator Scott Kawasaki. Um, So, you know, I think that's an interesting thing, too, is that where we we kind of take a snap, you know, we're we're kind of judging the plans by this current snapshot in time. That, yeah you know it's it gonna felt, change
0: it felt like they came in with the old playbook and were like ha ha we would do this like we've been doing for decades and then and it didn't feel like there was a lot of consideration for like what is ranked choice voting do to some of these districts and so actually i think that some of the ones where they where they think they got a win i don't think are going to necessarily play out that way because they might be mm-hmm. electing a coalition independent you know like uh,
1: yeah or yeah you know moderate republican who yeah. you know have also been kind of, you know, coalition friendly because, and that's the thing is that is, is so, you know, again, you know, you and I are both fans of ranked choice voting and we've established that at this point. Right. But like, I think the, the impact of the close partisan primaries and, and this idea of like, um, packing and redistricting has really led to like extraordinarily like partisan districts where, you know, it's all decided by just kind of who can run farthest to the right or or the left. Right. And mm-hmm. and so all of this, you know, I think is is sets up an interesting situation where, you know, maybe it was always going to be as, you know, district would have always been a solidly Republican district because they had 55 percent of the vote. Right. Now, that's not, you know, it doesn't it might not mean that you're going to get some like bleeding heart liberal, but it might mean you're going to get a more moderate Republican out of the deal than, you know. So the, you know, that Eagle River district we were talking about that's paired with the South, the South Muldoon district in East Anchorage, you know, that's a Laura Laura Reinbold holds that seat, right? And so, you know, maybe the impact isn't that, you know, we get a a super lefty liberal, you know, holding that whole Senate seat, but you maybe end up with a moderate Republican all of a sudden representing, you know, this area and uh, Eagle River and,
0: and that could have huge impacts on the legislature, yeah. right? Like, what is a legislature without someone like Laura Reinbold in the mix? Like, that's a that's a lot of time saved, a lot of like <laughs> hair hair not pulled out, right?
1: And that's the thing. And so, you know, I'm gonna if you like really wanted to like squint at this plan and kind of try to bring in some of the elements of re- ranked choice voting, I kind of you know you can kind of squint at it and look at it and see. Well, it's maybe not a full on like you know, putting the fingers on the scale in favor of like f- far right Republicans. But maybe it's, a you know, there's an effort here to kind of put the finger on the scale in favor of like moderate Republicans. Right. Because, you know, that's kind of I think that's sort of what is the is sort of the most endangered sort of political element right now is this sort of, yeah you know, sort of status quo Republican. And, and you know, there's and, there's and, advantages in here where that they you know, that there are districts who could swing from the far right to the right you know or the moderate right and, yeah and uh i i think that's kind of an interesting sort of direction that we won't know until you know this time in a year from now yeah
0: all right well hey this is this yeah. is no it's <laughs> great this has been a good discussion i'm uh uh I'm excited to see where it goes and there's parts of the process that weren't great, but there were parts of the process that went really well. You know, it, it certainly could have been worse. And I think that I'm comforted by the the hope that our new voting system will smooth out some of the, the bumps in the road. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, Hey, uh, goodbye, Alaska. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: Yeah. Talk to you soon.